It's Wednesday, October 31st, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, we are so privileged to have Jed Medifend here with us, and Jed is the president of the Christian Alliance for Orphans and a dear friend and someone that uh, I have so much respect and admiration for. He leads the Christian Alliance for Orphans with such humility, uh, with great leadership, um, but also with gospel conviction. And uh, Jed and his wife, Rachel, are so engaged and active in orphan care, not just from his role at Christian Alliance for Orphans, but with their lives. Uh, They have a beautiful five children that I've had the privilege of having dinner with, um, and uh, they've adopted as well from Ethiopia. And so they're living this out in their family, but also in the way they serve around the world, uh, spending extended times in South South America, uh, as well as Rachel uh, serves on a board that I also serve on uh, with the Village of Hope in Guatemala. Uh, Prior to being a part of CAFO, Jed served with the White House as a special assistant to President George W. Bush in the Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives. Um, One of uh, my favorite things about Jed uh, that most people don't know is that he wrote a book called Four Souls, where he and four of his friends traveled around the world and they documented that. So uh, as soon as I learned that, I went and bought that book instantly on Amazon. And so if you know Jed Medifin, go buy Four Souls. It is a you will learn more about Jed than you uh, ever knew. Uh, he's so humble. And I, I think even through this just shows a humble pursuit of the Lord. So Jed, we're grateful uh, just to have you on the Defender podcast today. And knowing that today is October 31st, Reformation Day, but we also are getting not just looking at Reformation Day today, but looking forward to November, which is National Orphan Month. And Orphan Sunday will happen obviously in November, on the second Sunday of November, but also other churches will do it throughout November. Uh, But today we wanted to talk about the definition of an orphan, because I think it's a word that sometimes people are afraid of today, uh, because, uh, or maybe have even a a misunderstanding of what that word means. So you lead the Christian Alliance for Orphans. So talk a little bit about this word orphan and the definition of what orphan means. Mm, Yeah, thanks, Herbie. Well, you know, of course, there, in, like any word, there's, there's many different definitions. Of course, you look at the, the dictionary, it'll usually just refer to a child that's lost both parents or perhaps has lost one. Um, back in the early 2000s, uh, UNICEF and the UN was primarily using a definition that uh, involved a child that had lost one or both parents. So that is kind of in the world of aid and development um, has been kind of the primary definition. A lot of the statistics that you hear from UNICEF um, are, are going with that particular definition. Um, so I think we can affirm that. I think we, at the same time, we can say, you know, this is a term that is really significant in scripture, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's clearly God's people are called mm-hmm. to be a people who pay special attention and special care for children that meet this definition. And I think ultimately what we would say is it really is any child that is living without the protection and nurture that children are meant to live with, that God intended the family to provide. So if a child is outside of that for any reason, it may be the death of parents, maybe um, abuse, neglect, other situations. If a child's outside of that and doesn't have that protection and care and nurture, then God calls his people to step into those kids' lives in a special way. Yeah, and I, I know we look throughout Scripture, and over and over the Lord does use that word, even in John 14 when speaking about us, and he's preparing 
his disciples to say, I'm going to go, and where I go, you cannot go, but I'm going to send a helper for you. And uh, in John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, um, but I will come for yeah. you. And that whole word doesn't mean, hey, I understand you've lost your earthly parents, but you're a child that is without protection. You're a child that uh, is left on its own devices. And so uh, by using that word, uh, you know, like you said, it's, it's not it's not a word that means a child has lost both parents, but they need some type of protection that for whatever reason, their ch- their parents have been incapacitated either by their own doing or by another doing to be able to provide that support for children. And clearly scripture calls the believer to step up for that. So uh, talk a little bit about just going into November, uh, Orphan Sunday, National Orphan Month, uh, how that got to be National Orphan Month and just kind of the genesis behind Orphan Sunday or this year, Stan Sunday. Yeah. Well, you know, I love the story behind Orphan Sunday. In It was actually begun in Zambia, a small, hard-pressed church, tin roof, cement floor. Um, and the local pastor there, even though he knew that that he himself and and most of his parishioners there, uh, you know, lived with with very little resources. He he still believed, hey, every Christian is called to this to this pure religion that James describes as caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And so, he just had a, a particular Sunday. He called it Orphan Sunday, and he he just reminded the church of this that that we were all orphans. That God has embraced us into His family, and He that God calls us to re- reflect that love in our own lives. And, and so many of the church members were deeply moved by this. There was actually a, a, an older man who took off his own shoes and brought them to the front of the church and said, hey, these are here for, for some child in the community that needs them, an orphan here. And, and there was a woman who had cabbage she had just bought at the market on her way to church, and this was going to be her dinner. She brought that to the front of the church. And so, you know, it just embodied this generosity and hospitality that God desires for his people, expressed in a particular way towards the orphans of that area in, in Zambia. And, and there was an American that happened to be there uh, and observed this. And he was so moved that he just felt like the American church needs more of this heart, this spirit. And so he brought this idea back with him to the United States and he began to spread it as an idea for Orphan Sunday. And uh, long story short, um, uh, the, the Christian Alliance for Orphans, ultimately together, all of these organizations said, hey, we're going to really champion this vision. And so uh, CAFO became kind of, what, as we see it, the steward of this vision from, from the Lord. And so, and, and over the years, it has gone from, you know, being celebrated in one church in Zambia today. Th- this year, we anticipate more than, uh, it will be celebrated in more than 90 countries around the world. Wow. And, uh, you know, in some places, maybe just a few churches in some countries like uh, Ukraine or other places, hundreds of churches literally commemorate this and remind uh, God's people that he loves the orphan in a unique and beautiful and special way. He calls us to do that. And of course, Herbie, as you know, that reminds us of God's heart towards all of us. We're celebrating the gospel in that. And, uh, and so that story, it just, it really, to me, is a beautiful picture of how God always loves to take small, unexpected places, unexpected things, and grow them uh, for much good fruit for his kingdom work. Yeah, and so talk a little bit as the steward of this, this vision and this movement that started out of Zambia, uh, particularly first for churches in America that might be listening. What is the hope for Christian Alliance for Orphans that a church would be able to to use Orphan Sunday? Like what, what's the hope, not just on one Sunday, but how do we hope that Orphan Sunday will be used in the life of a church? 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we, we really just pray that it will be um, a catalyst or, you know, a, another image might be uh, kind of like a torch where you bring a torch and you carry it into some area and you just set things on fire. You know, it's, it's of course, you could celebrate Orphan Sunday any day of the year. And, and in, in some ways, we, we want to have that heart every day of the year. But at the same time, when you know that God's people all over the world on this day are, are remembering these things and doing it in unison, it adds a special weight, right? And so, you know, maybe it's a, an adoptive family or a family that's fostering or just has, has a real heart for these things. Maybe they're supporting Lifeline's work around the world financially, but they want their church to, to share in that. And so they can go to their pastor and say, hey, pastor, could we just on Orphan Sunday, um, you know, maybe have a time of prayer for kids in foster care or for orphans worldwide? Could I put a table out in the foyer to share information about a particular program or organization. Some churches put the heart gallery, you know, which has pictures of kids in foster care out in, in their foyer and, and uh, share information. And in other cases, you know, the pastor uh, himself has totally embraced the vision. He preaches a whole sermon on, on God's adoption of us and then how we reflect that same love you know, in care for kids and families in foster care. So it's really just meant to be a catalyst, a one-day spark that then ultimately is lived out in the culture of the church year-round. And I know that even though today is October 31st and uh, technically Orphan Sunday uh, is just right around the corner, what are some, if a church has, has not made plans yet, it's still not too late, like you said, to add some element of Orphan Sunday to their order of worship. But I also know that CAFO has uh, resources uh, on your website, uh, as well as some videos on your website. Talk about some of the resources CAFO has if a church did want to try to sprinkle something into their worship gathering on Orphan Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're really right, Herbie, that, it, you know, something, even on this late date, something simple could be planned. I mean, literally, you know, just, hey, let's pray for kids in the community that are in foster care. Let's bring up a couple of our adoptive or foster families and just put, lay hands on them and, and pray for their work. Um, let's, let's announce that, that we as a church want to support foster and adoptive families. And so others that want to just help in, you know, humble ways, bringing over meals, running errands, dropping by diapers when they're needed, could sign up for that. You know, any of those things could be done. And as, as you mentioned, on the, the CAFO website, if people go to CAFO.org and then click on Orphan Sunday, um, there's a host of resources, videos, um, sermon notes, bulletin inserts that churches can use for that Sunday. And I would, I would mention too that, um, you know, in the U.S., be, because the term orphan is sometimes not uh, used and, and really, you know, can be uh, seen as an unhelpful term for kids in the foster care because it might cause people to misunderstand um, their, their status and the status of their parents, um, we, we also actually have parallel materials for something called Stand Sunday. Um, and, and so it's essentially the same as Orphan Sunday, but just the kind of the, the, the words are changed so that, um, you know, if, if you're just focused on the foster system, that can be used as well. And, and I would note, Herbie, that, that that Stand Sunday actually has a story much like Orphan Sunday. It started in a small African-American church in the U.S. where the pastor, in a very similar way, uh, Bishop Aaron Blake stood up and said, hey, God has called us to be God's answer for the kids in this community who are growing up without the protection and care of family. And so he was really doing the same thing that, that happened in that Zambia church. This was in the early 2000s as well. And so um, what, what we really offered, you know, is that U.S. churches today can choose either uh, Orphan Sunday or Stand Sunday or, or both. But ultimately, it's just all about celebrating the God who has welcomed us into his family and then figuring out how ordinary people like us can reflect that in our daily lives. Yeah, and I love uh, what you said, too, even about the start of Orphan Sunday in Zambia, 
and then looking at Aaron Blake and what he's done is a lot of the churches that have stepped up at the very beginning were not mega churches. These weren't churches that uh, were making front page headlines or that had celebrity pastors, but they were churches that were willing to get engaged. And so for anyone listening, you don't have to have a mega church. You don't have to have a huge church. You don't even have to have a permanent building in your church. If, if you're a place where the people of God meet, the work of the Lord can, can just absolutely be measured out in huge ways for the orphan. And I, and I even think about what Paul tells the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that the church at Macedonia had actually given out of their poverty to help the church at Corinth. And so we see churches around giving out of their poverty and also around the world. And I know that's something you've gotten to see, Jed, too, is the beautiful picture of churches around the world getting engaged, not with lots of resources, but with a heart to honor the Lord. And, and we see that here in the United States, where some of the smaller churches, maybe that aren't known as well, like throughout Texas with Aaron Blake and, and churches throughout Alabama and, and other states as well, that aren't going to make the top 10 or the top 100 list of, of evangelical churches in America, but are making a strong impact for the gospel to the orphan. And so as the leader of Christian Alliance for Orphans, you get to see that. And you guys have done such a great job engaging local churches. Uh, your summits in May uh, include so many local churches that want to get engaged and start orphan care ministries. I know Jason Johnson does a fantastic job uh, on your team of engaging local churches. Jason Weber has done a fantastic job getting local churches to see foster care. Talk about the importance of the local church in the life of the orphan and the vulnerable child. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we really believe that the, the local church needs to be at the center of this. And, and there's two facets that one is theologically, we, we believe that God has ordained for the local church to be the center of a community that embodies God's hospitality and grace that makes it visible to the world. Um, but but there's also a really uh, just a very practical element that, that this is needed. You know, foster care and adoption, as you know, it is not an easy road. Um, when you welcome in a child who has known a lot of hurt, you are going to share in that hurt with them. Uh, the, 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 the path to healing and and wholeness is is not easy, and it comes slowly sometimes, and it and it can be rocky. And so we really need a, a community of believers around us if we're the ones fostering and adopting. Um, as we often say at the Christian Alliance for Orphans, you know, not everyone is called to foster, not everyone is called to adopt, but everyone can play a critical role in that. As you know, Herbie, I and I would just say even personally, you know. Um, I think of a time when uh, a couple years ago, my wife and I got a call from our foster agency and they said, hey, we've got a, a little one, actually, a, he was born several weeks early, preemie, needed needed a foster placement. And um, and so he came to live with us. But we, at the time, our, our littlest one, Phoebe, whom you know, <laughs> Herbie, uh, Phoebe was four or five, I think, and we did not have any baby stuff left in our house. You know, we'd, we'd given it out to all our friends and, and folks. And so um, we we had this little one arriving in the afternoon, but we had no baby stuff at all. Mm. But people in our church heard about this. They started showing up with um, bags of preemie diapers. They brought meals. They brought clothes for these little tiny, tiny onesies. And, uh, you know, even a, a diaper genie that would not let out any stink. You know, it was just all these great things. Meals for, for, for many weeks, even, even kind of on and off for months, people would bring meals to our house. And I'll tell you, Herbie, not only was that practically so helpful to us, but it really gave us this wonderful, joyful feeling of fellowship and that we were not in this journey alone. It meant the world to us. And so, you know, I would really emphasize for those who are listening who think, you know, I'm not in a place where I could foster right now or I could adopt. 
hey, there's a critical role for you as well. And so that's really what, you know, Orphan Sunday is meant and to celebrate and stand Sunday. Hey, there's a part for all of us. We can all experience together that pure religion that James describes. Yeah, and I, I remember hearing Dr. Moore, Dr. Russell Moore, actually say at a CAFO event, probably one of the first that he ever spoke at, at Irving Bible Church in Dallas. And I remember in his message, he said, it's as important to know what we're called to as much as what we're not called to. We're all called and we're all commanded to get engaged with orphans and widows, but we're not all called to adopt and foster. But we can use our gifts and abilities to wrap around those who are called to foster and adopt. And I know that's something that Ashley and I, on a personal level, have really struggled with. Um, my wife, Ashley, has, has chronic health issues, and we actually did foster some children uh, who were older for about eight weeks. And uh, I was gone five of those eight weeks traveling because of my work with Lifeline. And at the end of the eight weeks, she was exhausted. Uh, and she said, I don't know if, unless you get off the road more, if we're going to be able to do this in any more long term than that. So we knew we're not called to do this long term. Uh, maybe these short interim stints, but not long term. And so it's important for us to realize I might not be called to adopt or foster, but there is something I can do. And and the beautiful thing that you talk about is using our gifts of hospitality, using our gifts of service, using the ways that the Lord has has called us and equipped us. Uh, one of the beautiful stories of a foster family that we had uh, is that they had this home and, you know, it sounds like they probably had a lot of resources because they had a pool in the, their backyard, but it was just a home that they had bought and they bought it at a good price and they had a pool. And in order to foster, they needed a fence around this pool. And men from their church came and built a fence around their pool in order for them to be able to be uh, bring in foster children. And mm-hmm. so it's just yeah. so beautiful yeah. to see the way, uh, like your church family wrapped around you and Rachel, the way to see that the church wraps around. So, you know, as we just are, are kind of even uh, closing out, one of the things about KFO2 is all the work that has been done internationally, uh, the work to set up these movements, not just in the United States, but to see these movements happen in South America, specifically in Guatemala, to see some work in South Africa, to see work in Uganda, to see work throughout the the, the continent uh, or the continents and the, around the world. So talk a little bit about the importance of the international work of setting up church-engaged movements that KFO is doing. Mm. Well, you know, Herbie, like we were just talking about, if we believe that the local church needs to be at the center of things, both both for theological reasons and also for, for very tangible, practical reasons, uh, that, that same truth holds globally too, right? And, and, and of course, that doesn't mean that the Western church doesn't have important things to offer, not, not just financial, but expertise and res- resources, things we've learned along the way. We can definitely... Uh, bring invaluable things, but the local church really is is needed to play that primary role of of being the hands and feet. Uh, they're going to be they're, 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 they were there before we got there. They're going to be there after, and really that that hospitality and welcome that these children need, whether it's short term, you know, hey, stay here for a few weeks while your your biological parents get back on their feet, to to long term, to you know, local adoption. All of those things need to be lived out by uh, women and men based there in the community uh, who are willing to love and, re- and, and live out their faith for these kids. And so, um, you know, as, as you expressed, we really believe that uh, helping come alongside and build up the, the local church, uh, helping develop the local vision for this, which, you know, in some cases is countercultural. I would say you know, this is generalizing, but in many parts of the world, there is a very healthy, a stronger than, a, than American system of kin 
uh, welcoming in, you know, cousins, nephews, aunts and uncles, you know, welcoming kin in. But if a child is unrelated, if, if a child does not bear your blood, often it is not only seen as uh, odd to bring in an unrelated child into your home, but actually maybe as a negative thing that might bring curses upon you, things like that. And so, you know, the, the gospel, the message that we are all adopted, that is is something that can profoundly change a culture that is anti-adoption or that is against bringing in unrelated children, or perhaps that brings in an unrelated child, but only as household help, as a rest of it, like in, like in Haiti. You know, the gospel says, hey, we are brought into God's family as co-heirs with Christ. We mm -hmm. share the full family name. We share the inheritance rights. And so that model can become a, a really transformative factor in a culture that has, you know, really uh, shunned adoption and shunned unrelated children. And the local church really can become the center point of local family care for children that need it. And that's, it's so beautiful to see that, as you alluded to, happening all over the world from Ukraine to Kenya to Guatemala and many, many other places as well. And I know it, it, that's so, that work is so important too, as intercountry adoption gets tougher. Um, there's, there's now a more urgency we always should have had the urgency, but there's even more urgency to engage local churches to say, you know, hey, adoption is maybe no longer an option, uh, intercountry adoption. And I think it's a good balance because intercountry adoption shouldn't have been what we led with. We should have been leading with engaging local churches and intercountry adoption should have been the, 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 the emergency situation. Uh, but know, oh, yeah. go, keep, keep going, hurry. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think that's the great thing that we see is this is so important that we get locals. And, and one of the things I just wanted you to touch on is we saw even last month that the Ethiopian prime minister uh, has adopted the child from Ethiopia. And so we need to be celebrating countries that are now able to say, hey, we want to address the orphan crisis with our own borders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. And I, and I think what we can say about intercountry adoption, I, I thoroughly agree with your, your thought there that, you know, that the all along the primary focus should be and shall shall be uh, you know on the local church. I think we can still affirm that you know there are there are many children that that are very unlikely to be adopted locally. There are many kids growing up outside of families today, and so you know uh, intercountry adoption can can provide a home for some of these kids. And so that's you know it's still a a part of the big picture, even though we, we should really recognize it's a very small slice of it. I think the other thing that I would add that's really interesting, Herbie, is that as I, if, if, if I were just to even make a quick list in my mind of countries where there is a really vibrant local adoption uh, movement happening, whether on a small scale or in some cases, you know, fairly large, uh, this would include South Korea, it would include Russia, Ukraine, it would include um, certain African countries, it would include Guatemala, uh, Colombia. You know, if I, if I were to make that list, the interesting thing is that those are countries where there was actually a lot of intercountry adoption mm -hmm. over the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really see intercountry adoption as not only meeting the needs of a, of a modest number of kids, bringing them into homes, but also of, of catalyzing other things, including the local church in a place and, and the broader culture in a country that initially said, why the heck are these Americans mm -hmm. adopting these kids? I mean, literally, you know, these countries, as you know, that many of the people in these countries would say, hey, these kids are good for nothing. Why would anyone want them? Often they would assume, well, it must be for, for dark purposes to exploit mm -hmm. them or you know, to harvest their orbit organs. I mean, those are, you know, the, the stories that sometimes would circulate because people just couldn't imagine why anyone would welcome in an unrelated child who didn't have parents into their, their family. But now that they have seen 
um, Americans welcoming children in for, for many years, that has, has impacted the culture. And many people in these countries are saying, wait a minute, may, maybe we can and should be doing this too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it has been so catalytic, even in places like China, to see more Chinese now adopting where adoption was so faux pas. Absolutely. And you're right. It has been a catalyst and a beautiful catalyst. And we want to make sure that folks know intercountry adoption is still a beautiful option for children in need. And there are still children in need. Uh, we just don't need to lead with and think that it's the only option available for the world is American families getting engaged. And so I, I think just it's beautiful. And, and this is what I see CAFO leading in, the both and. We're, we're still believe very much in our country adoption, but we want to strengthen the local church. And, and I love what you said because it has been catalytic in so many places where churches say, hey, we can do that too, or how can we help, or how can we get engaged? Well, uh, Jed is, uh, as you can see, just a, a great leader, uh, a voice for us. And there's ways that you can get connected with Jed. Obviously, you can go to the Christian Alliance for Orphans website that he referenced, CAFO.org. You can also uh, look for articles by him on the web. He has uh, the, the book we mentioned, Four Souls, but more recently, Becoming Home and Upended. Uh, two great volumes uh, that you should definitely look for. And then Jed also has a podcast that's released by KFO where he is looking on a longer term, uh, more like 45, 50 minutes on, on just emerging issues in the Christian Alliance for Orphan movement that you should definitely listen to. Jed is a dear friend, a fantastic leader, and a great voice that we need. And so thanks for joining us today, Jed, and for being here on the Defender Podcast. Mm, thanks so much, Herbie. Great to be with you, brother. Well, as we said, today is also Reformation Day, and so it's 501 years that Martin Luther went and nailed uh, the thesis on the Wittenberg Castle door, and what an important day that was for the propagation of the gospel to go forth, unhaltered and unhindered. And so we still, with our lives and with what we do for orphans and widows around the world, can make that unadulterated gospel known to our communities, to our neighborhoods, and ultimately to the world. Well, again, we're so grateful that Jed was able to join us today. And if you would like more information on how your church can get engaged with Orphan Sunday, you can always visit lifelinechild.org backslash orphan dash Sunday. So that's lifelinechild.org backslash orphan dash Sunday to get more information and more resources about how your church can get engaged with Orphan Sunday or stay in Sunday. We hope that you will get your pastors, your, your churches engaged in Orphan Sunday on this very important initiative of the local church to stand up for children that are vulnerable, for children in foster care, and for orphans around the world. Also, join us next week from the Defender Podcast. Much of our team will be traveling to India as we seek to train caregivers and do a lot of different type of work for orphan and vulnerable children along with local churches in India. And so we'll be there the next week and a half. And join us next week as we come live from India to share with you some of the important work that's happening. And hopefully, maybe those are some stories that you could share at Orphan Sunday. So again, it's lifelinechild.com org backslash orphan dash Sunday to get those resources and to get your church engaged on behalf of defending the fatherless. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel for you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.